0: you heard about this, I think it was quite a few years ago, several years ago, uh, scientists at NASA uh, developed a device, I don't know, it's almost like a gun, I guess, uh, designed specifically to launch dead chickens at the windshields of airliners, military jets, and even the space shuttle. Now I'd like to be on that uh, and that team developing that but but th- basically they were they were uh, uh shooting these uh these dead chickens maximum velocity uh in order to simulate the frequent incidents of uh, collisions with birds in the air and to test the strength of the windshield and, and the reaction of the crew and, and and how to do uh how to deal with all of that and so develop this device to be able to do that it seems that uh uh British engineers heard about this device and wanted to test the windshields of their high-speed trains because they also uh, uh were were uh you know bird strikes were common uh with their with their trains as well and so they made arrangements and the the the, the British uh borrowed the device but it seems when they launched their first chicken The engineers were were shocked and appalled as uh, it crashed right through the windshield, their shatterproof windshield. But it didn't just stop there. It kept going. It broke through the console of that uh, train. It snapped the engineer's backrest in two, and it embedded itself in the back wall of the cabin. And the British uh, uh, train officials obviously were horrified. They contacted NASA immediately and uh, told them all about the results of their experiment they gave them all the specks of their windshield they're trying to find out what do we do obviously we're uh, this is this is awful what do we do nasa responded back with just one sentence really just three words thaw the chicken thaw the chicken Sometimes, I guess, it does take a rocket scientist, right, to be able to uh, uh, do, the, do the wise thing. I, it's it's kind of tough, I think, at times uh, to, uh, to navigate wisely through life, to make good decisions, to have good outcomes. Sometimes we, we don't think through all the scenarios. We don't have the foresight to know what's best. We'd, we'd like to be wise. Sometimes wisdom eludes us, right? And so today we're continuing this, this series. We started a, a couple of weeks ago based on uh, some of the writings of an ancient priest and scribe named Ezra. After many years of exile in Babylon, uh, the the the, uh, the Israelites were were set free to kind of restart their nation uh, back in the land of Israel, and Ezra was part of that process. And so he compiled a history for these people who were coming back out of Ezra, e- exile back to the, uh, the 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 promised land, uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, develop this this history for them. And and we, what we have in our Bible now in the Old Testament is First and Second Chronicles. Um, in this history, Ezra's is teaching many lessons on how to start over again, by in, in how he crafted his telling of the uh, of the history of his people, uh, how to kind of restart, to to revive their lives, to to be stronger than than ever, and and many of those principles are true for us today as well. Last time, uh, just a reminder, I know it's been a couple of weeks, uh, uh, we, we focused on King David, and uh, Ezra told the story of David's sin and uh, then his repentance, and we discovered that revival only starts when we own our stuff, remember? Just got to own your stuff, right? You've got you to own your sin. you got to recognize that, that, uh, that, that you've sinned, and, and then you've got to make things right. And we learned that, uh, that, that God relents When we repent. Today we're going to learn a lesson from David's son, Solomon, about wisdom. Because although Solomon wasn't a rocket scientist, um, I don't think that existed back then, but uh, uh, he is touted as literally the wisest person to have ever lived. And you might remember hearing about Solomon, we talked a little bit about him last summer as we uh, walked through the book of Proverbs and, and, uh, and, and uh, he wrote most of those Proverbs in, in, uh, in, in what we have as the book of Proverbs. But just to refresh your memories, here's, here's how scripture describes Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 4 uh, beginning in verse 29, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. Now, you may also know that, especially later in his life, Solomon didn't always follow the wisdom that he knew, and he made some pretty big blunders. But, but Ezra uh, wrote in First uh, in, in and Second Chronicles, he's writing to encourage the people, and so he's emphasizing what Solomon did right, especially uh, how, how well he started. And, uh, and, and that helped those Israelites returning from exile, and, and I think it helps us today to see what's important in order for us to experience revival and renewal uh maybe these uh this this year of a pandemic has kind of uh sucked the life out of you i don't know or maybe there's a whole lot of other reasons uh that uh, that 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 you uh and i need to experience revive i think we always need to be uh be growing in and allowing god to revive or energize us in our faith and so i think the some of these principles from solomon's life can can teach us Solomon was David's son, not the firstborn son. Uh would have been customary for the firstborn son to become the next king, but uh we don't have time to get into all the the family dynamics of David's uh uh David's family, but uh but but Solomon became king. Most scholars agree that that uh, he was around 20 years old when he took the throne. So he's young, he's inexperienced, he's got uh, other siblings that maybe are not necessarily excited about him being king. And uh, so at the beginning of his reign, Ezra records here in, in, uh, in Second Chronicles that, the, the, that Solomon uh, did some specific things to, in order to start off on the right foot as the new king. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 3, and then we'll jump down to verse 6. It says, Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Solomon knew that being king was, was something far beyond him. He couldn't do this on his own. He found himself responsible for, for two million people who needed uh, leadership, care, and protection. It was, a, it was the biggest assignment of his young life, and so he made the biggest sacrifice that he could imagine. He went to Israel's holiest place, a a mountain not far from his home, to the tabernacle that had been with Moses and the people in the wilderness, and and he went to this holy place, and he took a thousand sheep, goats, and cattle, and he built a fire on the altar, and one after another, those 1,000 animals were slaughtered and hoisted onto the altar, and one after the other, their ashes rose up to God. In the Old Testament, we're not too familiar with, with all the, uh, the the sacrifices these days, but in the Old Testament, there were several types of offerings, and one of them was called a fellowship offering. This is the one that, that I probably would have gotten a little excited about, I think, because with a fellowship offering, you roast a part of the animal to the Lord, and then you roast a part of it for yourself, and uh, when your portion is cooked just the way you like it, you know, a little medium rare or a medium well or a good solid meat, wherever you're at in in that, you you roast it just like you like it, then in the fellowship offering you would sit down and you would consume that or eat it in fellowship with God. And it was this uh, entering into fellowship, it's like a meal between two friends, a fellowship offering. That's not what Solomon did. It says Solomon uh, did a burnt offering, uh, and a burnt offering was completely different. With a burnt offering, you didn't get to eat anything. Uh, You you burned it all up. God got it all. The offering was totally consumed, symbolizing you're giving everything to God. It's not about you and what you want or what you like or whether it's medium rare or whatever. It's all about God. Solomon's offering was a burnt offering. So in making those sacrifices, Solomon is starting off his career as king by saying to God, all I have is yours, all I am is yours. A thousand times over and over as he's sacrificing and worshiping. All I am is yours. All I have, I don't know how long it would take to sacrifice 1,000 animals, a long time. All I have is yours. All I am is yours. God, all I have is yours. All I am is yours. Over and over and over and over a thousand times. I think one big reason that Ezra tells this part of the story is to teach us a huge principle that, I, that we see over and over in Scripture and in life. Surrender is a big part of revival. To be revived, we need to surrender. You you will not experience closeness with God if you are not surrendered to His will and His ways in your life. But but surrender isn't really something we want to want to do. I mean, it, it's it's the weak people who surrender, right? It's it's the person who who uh, who gives in. Uh, it, it, it means giving up power, giving up control. If I surrender, that means I'm not in charge. And you'd think that a guy who had just been handed the monarchy would be holding on to all the power that he could. Instead, Solomon surrendered to God. All I am is yours. All I have is yours. All I am is yours. All I have is yours. We know that Solomon wasn't just going through the motions, but that he really meant this in his heart because of what happened after all that sacrificing. So 2 Chronicles chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, we see God's response to Solomon's act of worship and his sacrifice. It says, That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in this place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions or honor nor for the death of your enemies and since you have not asked for a long life but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you and I will also give you wealth, possessions and honor such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. God gives Solomon, in the, in the wake of Solomon's sacrifice, in the wake of his worship, God gives Solomon a blank check. What do you want? And it seems that Solomon was already on the path toward wisdom because of his response, right? He asked simply for more wisdom, wisdom to govern well. Hey, you, you've given me this kingship, and I'm not sure what to do with it. I need help. And, and so God grants that request, and then he throws in all the wealth and honor stuff too, right? God honors surrender it's it's the wisest way to live surrendered to god on the on the day of solomon's sacrifice he was he was starting his life over Uh, once he was a prince now he's a king Uh, princes can play but kings have to lead so solomon asked for this incredible thing called wisdom wisdom and knowledge Wisdom is is key. Now, I, maybe you know the difference between wisdom and not. Knowledge. knowledge is knowing facts and figures and principles. Wisdom is knowing what to do with those facts and figures and principles. Knowledge is about information. Wisdom is about application. Uh, maybe this is a, maybe this helps explain it. Knowledge is knowing how to pick your nose. Wisdom is knowing when. Right. Uh, that maybe maybe fleshes it out there for it. Wisdom is, is, is it's important. It's an important thing for, for anybody, especially for followers of God. Solomon wanted to be able to discern God's will as he ruled over the kingdom that he'd been given because God's kingdom and God's wisdom is so far beyond our own understanding. Uh, Isaiah 55 describe, describes it this way. "Your, th- uh, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts if we follow human wisdom we'll get human results if we follow god's wisdom we get divine results and solomon got results we we can't read it all this morning for the next several chapters at the end of this one and then then for the next several you'll you'll see um, God's blessing on Solomon's life all over the place. Uh, for instance right here in 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 verse 14 uh, a few verses down Ezra says that that Solomon accumulated 1400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen and he stationed them in the chariot cities uh with the with the king in and with the king in Jerusalem. Uh, those numbers don't mean much to you. You probably don't have any experience about to know whether 1400 is a lot of chariots or not. Um just to to Maybe uh, put a little perspective when when uh, the, the Pharaoh in Egypt was chasing after the people when they had escaped Egypt and were going to the promised land and, and he chased after him and they're going across the Red Sea and he's got his chariot. He's got six hundred chariots, and it was a vast army, and six hundred chariots, and, and Solomon has fourteen hundred. So so he's got all of God had blessed him with with uh, with, with wisdom to provide for the uh, safety and security of his people. In, in a, another verse there, the next verse down, it says that uh, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar as abundant as sycamore in the Judean foothills. Solomon, Solomon knew how to generate wealth. Uh, Solomon uh, provided, now I guess we could talk about, well, if it's as common as stones, then it's not. Uh, I don't know, the, economic, we can get into the economics of that. But uh, Solomon generated not only safety for his people, but also wealth for his people. And then the next chapters all describe about how Solomon provided for the spiritual needs of his people. Uh, he went into the business of building the temple of God. He, he used his vast wealth and his influence to to get the stones and the lumber and the gold and the manpower needed to accomplish this huge task of building a temple in Jerusalem. Solomon's wisdom enabled him to to see the vision and to delegate the work and to build the most incredible temple for worship in the world at the time. I I think in going into all the detail of all that, and again we can't read it all through all those chapters today, but but I think Ezra was was simply making the point that wisdom is a great gift. Wisdom from God is an amazing gift gift israel experienced fantastic blessings as a result of solomon's prayer for wisdom they became the the wealthiest nation in the world at the time they enjoyed safety on all their borders the the whole world experienced blessing as a result of solomon starting off his reign by saying all i am is yours all i have is yours and god said how can i bless you and he asked for wisdom so Solomon remained true to God and as he built, you know, the biggest thing that he did was building this temple and, and uh, throughout that construction he continued to follow God. He, he, he knew enough to know that, that, uh, that his wisdom couldn't accomplish everything so this really, really wise man also spent time in prayer. And uh, chapter 6 records an incredible prayer that Solomon uh, prayed as he dedicated the temple to God. After it all kind of came into place and there, they gathered the people and he prayed. And it was an amazing uh, prayer there in, in uh, Second Chronicles chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, uh, we have Ezra uh, re- recounting what God's response was to Solomon's prayer. And, and I think, well, you'll, you'll recognize part. You'll at least recognize the last verse here. Here uh, in in Second Chronicles chapter seven, uh, beginning in verse eleven, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, "I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices." When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or or send a plague among my people if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land recognize that verse 14 Maybe you have it on a mug. Maybe you drank out of it this morning. Maybe it's on your wall framed somewhere. Uh, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That is Ezra recounting, retelling God's response to Solomon at the conclusion of his construction of the temple. And embedded in that are four keys for us to experience revival in our lives. Ezra knew that, that if we are going to be serious about following God, if, if we're really going to truly be his people, called by his name, then, then these things have to be at the core of our lives. They have to be regular practices. And so Ezra's reminding these people, coming back from exile, you're God's people. You're, you're, uh, God has called you by name. You are his. And if you're going to do that, then these are the things that, that you need to do, practically do, and practically be a part of your life if you're going to be really called his people and ask for his inner... Intervention. I, I want us to actually take it out of order because last time we, uh, we, we kind of left off with uh, the, the, the fourth one in this list. Turn from your wicked ways. God told Solomon, God told the people that, uh, that one key component of revival, of, of experiencing his blessing in their lives, was if they turn from their wicked ways. And, and like we saw uh, a couple weeks ago, revival always includes an awareness of sin and it always includes our repentance. Repentance is simply making a U-turn. We're heading towards sin. We're sorry about that. We don't ever want to do it. We turn and we head toward God. And so it's a, it's, it's a turning from our wicked ways. And so as we said uh, last time, uh, own your stuff, make things right. Even the little things we said, right? We talked about David's sin and, and it was like, is that really sin? Is it not? Is it, It's not one of the big ones that he committed, but it's it's important no matter what, as God points something out, hey, this needs to change. We've got to change it. We've got to do, we've got to turn from our wick, wicked way. Now, most people don't like change, right? But they say that the only person who likes change is a baby with a dirty diaper, right? Well, we, 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 most people don't like change, but we have to be willing to turn from our sin as God directs us it it might mean that that you've been involved in a in a habit for years but God puts his finger on that and says this has to change are you willing to turn from anything that God points out in your life as wicked or sinful we have to do that before we'll ever experience revival revival begins when we repent (laughs) God relents when we we repent. Revival begins when we we get serious about sin. We've got to turn from our wicked ways. Moving up the list, uh, the couple in the middle, uh, look at them together. It, It says, pray and seek God's face. Are you praying? Are you pursuing God's face? Well, what does that mean, pastor? I can't see God. I can't uh, pursue his, pursuing God's face is simply de- describing a desire to know God, right? To, uh, time spent face-to-face with someone is, is an intimate time, right? If, you, if you're, you, you can talk to somebody, fine, but when you're, when you're sitting down face-to-face, there's a connection there. It's, a, it's, a, it's about intimacy. We're focused on each other. Um, we're, we're not distracted, but we're, we're looking eye-to-eye, face-to-face. We tend to get distracted though, don't we, especially in our, in our spiritual lives. And when we're not intentionally seeking after God, then we drift away from that intimacy that he wants with us and, and we miss out on that revival that he wants to kindle in our hearts. I, I heard uh, author and speaker Christine Kane on a podcast recently, uh, she, she said something to this effect, uh, that, that in order to drift in our faith, uh, in order to drift away from God, all we have to do is nothing right? Uh, In order to drift away from God, all we have to do is is nothing. I've said that type of thing before. You will not drift into holiness. You won't accidentally end up closer to God. It takes a proactive, conscious discipline to pray and seek his face, to, to pursue God. You won't ever get close enough to God there's always more right Uh, there's always more to know more to discover but you have to actively seek him so that you're taking those steps what are you doing regularly daily multiple times a day in order to seek God's face in order to develop your maybe that's a better way to say it, in order to develop your relationship, what are you doing uh, practically every day, multiple times a day, what is a regular part of your life that you are seeking after God and to develop a close relationship with him? It's more than just saying a quick prayer before supper. It's more than just a, a Hail Mary when you're in a jam. It's more than just bringing your wish list to him and saying, God, I want this and do this for me. Uh, it's doing whatever it takes to know God intimately, maintaining a relationship, spending time and effort seeking him, pursuing him. Uh, gathering for worship like this is, is, is one way that we seek God's face, Right? Uh, stepping into a Bible study on your own or with a group, uh, spending time in a, on Sunday morning or, or uh, uh, some other time gathering with God's people, we're we're seeking. We're not just uh, spending time for those relationships, although that's important. But we're also seeking God's face. We're spending time in His Word, and we're reading and we're studying and we're we're we're, we're diving into what He might want. We're, it's it's a discipline, and, and we spend time in prayer. And we cry out to God and we let him know what's on our heart and what's, what's on our mind and, and, and allow his grace to interact with us. Pray and seek his face. I think all of this starts with, and it's not a mistake that, that, that God said the first thing here was to humble yourself. And that's that's, uh, that's if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from wicked ways, then he'll hear. It starts with humility. I, I think that's where Solomon started all of this. Uh, we saw in, in chapter 1, all I am is yours, all I have is yours. It's not about me, it's all about you. All I am is yours, all I have is yours. It's, it's humility. And uh, humility is such a key to wisdom. It means that I'm willing to listen to someone else. That it's not just about me and what I think is right, but, but it's about humility in, in submitting to the lordship of God. Wisdom starts when I get rid of the pride and arrogance and submit to God's kingship. I mean, Solomon was king, right? He was king of everybody and he still recognized there was a king above him and he submitted to God's lordship, God's kingship. He is God, and you are not. So, humble yourself. Uh... I think it's important to note that God says, humble yourself, because at some point we're going to be, <laughs> we're going to experience humility. I, if we do it ourselves, we humble ourselves. If, if we allow somebody else to do it, it's called humiliation, right? Uh, I'd much rather humble myself than be humiliated. Uh, so, so God is, is, is actually graciously saying, humble yourself, because at some point you're going to be humiliated if you don't. Uh, living in humility is so much wiser. It's a wiser way to live. Humble yourself. Thomas Kempis said so many years ago, the more humble a man is in himself, the more obedient toward God, the wiser will he be in all things, and the more shall his soul be at peace. I've read somewhere, I think it was Andrew Murray, uh, said, pride must die in us or else nothing of heaven can live in us. Pride must die in us or nothing of heaven can live in us in us last time a couple weeks ago we said we have to own our sin we have to repent we need to make things right in order to experience God's revival in our hearts but even before that humility has to do its work in us so that we're even willing to repent right and in telling this story as he did Ezra was was talking about the importance of wisdom but maybe even more the importance of surrender you don't know all the answers but you know a God who does and, and whether you understand it all or not, living a revived life with God means that, that I'm not demanding my rights or, or acting like I know it all, but I'm living submitted to the wisdom of God, asking him for direction at every turn. It's a submission that leads to wisdom. Several times in scripture, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Humility is a big, big part of that, that I'm submitting to God's leadership. And then as I follow him, that's the wisest way to live. I guess as we, as we bring all this together and all these chapters in the first uh, however many seven chapters of, of Second Chronicles uh, and we look at Solomon's life and, and we think about Solomon as this wise, wise person uh, and, and, and he was for, for a while anyway, he was a, he was a wise and had all the wisdom and the wisest person who ever, all those things but it was grounded in, the, the secret to it all was in his submission to the lordship, the kingship of God all I have is yours all i am is yours all i have is yours all i ha- am is yours in, in in what areas of your life do you have some surrendering to do are there are there things that you're holding on to are there are there uh, habits or or situations or relationships or or certain things where you're saying god you can have all this stuff but yeah not not that or have you submitted completely have you humbled yourself Are you praying, talking to Jesus, seeking his face? Have you turned from those wicked ways? That is when God hears and he intervenes and he makes all the difference. And it starts with that that sacrifice in our lives. All I am is yours. All I have is yours. A thousand times if you need to. All I am is yours. All I have is yours. Surrender to the Lordship of God. Father God, we submit ourselves to you today. We, we acknowledge that there, there are uh, no doubt places in our lives when we've, uh, we've maybe not humbled ourselves. or we've, We're pretty sure we've got the answers and we've got things straight. And, and maybe we're holding on to some things that you would put in the wicked category. Maybe it doesn't seem like all that big a deal, but you're putting your finger on it and saying, hey, this needs to change. Lord, I, whatever it is, Lord, across this room, uh, uh, across the, the, the live stream, where, wherever folks are hearing this, Lord, I just pray that they would not hear my voice but yours and that your spirit would, would ruminate in us and not let us go until we humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from anything that, 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 that doesn't measure up to you. Lord, we want revival. We we, we want not just a life that we can provide that makes sense to us. We want want spiritual life. We want to to, to live in abundance, an abundant life with you. We know that that only comes as we're living submitted to you. And so Lord, I pray that the, the posture of our hearts today, that right here in this moment, right now, that the posture of our hearts would be, all I am is yours. All I have is yours. Work your will, your plans, your wisdom in my life today. Father God, as we go from here, I pray that you'll enable us to live that out that we can uh maybe we need to change some habits so that we're talking to you uh regularly that we're spending time seeking your face maybe maybe we need to uh, uh you need to remind us uh, multiple times today or this week that, that that we need to humble ourselves we need to back off we need to submit again to your lordship lord whatever it is as we walk from this place today we do that under your authority we do that under your kingship your lordship in our lives and and uh, we pray we we offer ourselves to you and we acknowledge that that you can do whatever. Whatever you need to do in us whatever you want to do through us to bring your abundant life to the world where we live father god we thank you for your presence here today and with us as we go in jesus name we pray amen